Now, the last several weeks, I have been providing you several different theological truths um, that we have called hearing aids. And the purpose of providing those theological truths to you is for you and I to become better hearers of God's Word, and more specifically, to become better at hearing the preached Word of God. That is, when we come together during the preaching event, that we learn to listen better to what is being preached. Now, I need to make sure that we understand, just very quickly, what I mean by hear. It is the theology of the hearer, but what do I mean by hearing? That we're trying to become better hearers. Well, first of all, it is not, we're not speaking of the ear's mechanical ability to receive sound. Okay, that's not what we're talking about. We're not just talking about the reverberations and the ear's ability to be able to grasp those vibrations and, uh, and to make sense of it. Instead, we're talking about the ability to listen in order to understand and submissively respond to what it is that we're hearing. In other words, that we've come to listen, yes, to allow the words to be able to go into our ears, but we want to come to an understanding of what it is that is being said with a submissive heart to do whatever it is that God's commanding us to do. Amen? That's what true biblical hearing is all about. And that's what the, what the, what the purpose of this particular series is. Now, we have covered now three different of these hearing aids. Hearing aid number one was that God speaks. We saw that in Hebrews chapter one. We said that, you know, we have a God who speaks. He has spoken in many ways and in many times in ages past. He spoke most clearly through the person of his son, the incarnate word, Jesus Christ. In other words, if you want to know what God is like, know what his son is like. He is the exact imprint of the father. Then we said, we continued on and said, but he continues to speak to us primarily how church through the written word of God. He still speaks to us today. Amen. Now, the second hearing aid was this, that God speaks through preaching. God speaks through preaching. And that is when a man of God unfolds the word of God, he opens it up and he proclaims the and heralds the truth of God's word. That is God's stuff versus good stuff. That means scripture rather than his own ideas, rather than, 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 than just human intuition and human observation, but actually preaches that which has been revealed by God through the word of God. Then guess what? God speaks. And when he preaches and when he gets it right, it is as authoritative and as binding on your life and on my life as if God himself were to come to you and speak in an audible voice and command you and to tell you to do something. That's what God has given us through preaching. Now, hearing aid number three is what we covered last week to some extent. And that is God speaks to transform the role of the word. In other words, the reason God has chosen to speak to you and I is to transform us into the likeness and image of his son. In other words, when, when Adam and Eve fell, all of creation fell with it. Even though mankind was created in the image of God, because of sin, that image was gravely marred, okay, with sin. So what God wants to do is he wants to get you and I in his creation, in his people, to guess what? To go back to its original created state where man was with him communing in the garden. That's where God's trying to get us all, okay? That's how it ends up. Up in the book of Revelation. And so what we understand here is that that word of God is necessary for that transformation to occur. Okay. We saw last week that the word of God transforms our soul, our mind, our heart, our perceptions, our attitudes, and our views concerning ourselves like nothing else can. I, I, I don't think this morning 
that we can underemphasize uh, the significance and the importance of understanding why we're here. I don't think I can overemphasize the fact that we are not here primarily. We don't gather together as a corporate body this morning primarily because we need comfort. We don't primarily meet this morning because we just want some communion. We're lonely. We want to be with other people. That might be a part of why we're here, but it's not the reason why we're here. And we're not here merely just to be able to learn some new facts, some new stimulating truths. The reason that God's people gather together for the listen to the preaching of the word of God is for one reason and one reason only to be transformed, to be changed into the likeness of the person of Jesus Christ. That's our object every time we come together. Now, somebody might object and they might say, but I thought the ultimate end for us was to worship God. And you're absolutely right. But the greatest means of worship, the greatest act of worship is not opening your mouth and letting words come out or raising your hands or swaying to the music, even though that might be very important for us to raise our voices to God. The greatest act of worship is submitting to the word of God and being transformed in the likeness of Christ. That's the greatest act of worship. So there are people all over the place that are going, man, you guys just don't know how to worship. You know, you don't do this and you don't kick and you don't do this. Well, okay, that's fine. But what is true worship? True worship is submission to our creator. That's what true worship is. And so what we need to understand is apart from the word of God, that transformation doesn't occur. Now that brings us to hearing aid number four. All right. And that is God. God speaks to transform the role of the Holy Spirit. And so what we're going to see today, and what I want you to understand, is that the Word of God left by itself cannot transform you. It cannot transform you. It has to have the Holy Spirit working in, 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 together with it in order for that transformation to occur. Uh, Azurdio, excuse me, um, Arturo Azurdia, that's a hard name. Um, he says this. He says, the unaccompanied scriptures are not sufficient for life transformation. The word of God must be attended by the operative power of the spirit of God if salvation and sanctification are to occur. In other words, you cannot be saved apart from the word of God. Do you understand that? Uh, unless we hear faith comes by hearing and hearing by what church, the word of God, a person cannot come to faith in Jesus Christ by looking um, at a tree or hugging that tree or eating that tree. Would you agree? Why do you guys like so stern this morning? All right. Don't be so serious. All right. So geez. All right. So anyway, so you cannot be saved that way. God has to communicate to us. He has to reveal these truths to us. And he's revealed that where in his word. So we have to have the word to be saved. And we have to have the word of God to be transformed in the likeness of Jesus Christ. Because once we get saved, that's just the beginning. Amen. We've got a long path to go to become more like Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so, but the point here is, is for the Word of God to be preached without the power of the Holy Spirit using it to change mankind, it's nothing more than a regular book. That's it. I know that sounds strange, but it's true. It's nothing more, the Bible will be nothing more than a book that is left at a top drawer at a hotel somewhere without the power of the Holy Spirit divinely using it to transform you and I. Does that make sense? Now, what I want you to understand this morning is the Word of God and the Holy Spirit 
come together when the word of God is taught, when it is read, when it is preached and it's understanding correctly. The Holy Spirit comes along, takes it. And the word of God is like the tool and the Holy Spirit is like the hand of power that grabs the word of God, cultivates and changes you and I from the inside out. Okay, you got that picture. All right. That's what happens. That's what he uses is the word of God. But if the Holy Spirit's not using, as we're going to see, we're going to ultimately be sunk. Now, that's the way that is God's equation for growth. It's his word and his spirit. But let me tell you this. We can impede the growth of us and the transformation of us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Do you agree with that? We can keep ourselves from growing. How? Let me give you two ways. First of all, by not being in the Word. By not having enough of the Word. If the Word of God is needed for you and I to grow into the likeness of Christ and be transformed by the renewing of our minds to look more like Him, then we have to have the Word of God. So if the only word of God we get is on Sunday mornings by me, then that means that six days out of the week, we're not being transformed. Do you understand? So we have to have the word of God each day. It's got to be something we're reading, studying, meditating, memorizing inside of our heart. It's got to be all encompassing for us to continue to grow and be transformed. But the second thing that we need to understand is that we can also keep from being transformed by impeding the power in the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's what I want to focus on today. Uh, This morning, what I want to do is we want to look. We talked about the word last week. We want to talk about the Holy Spirit this week. And what I want to do is I want to show you two barriers that impede the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life. Okay, there are two. First of all, the first barrier is an unregenerate heart. An unregenerate heart. Now, let me just explain. An unregenerate heart is just a theological term for a lost person. Okay, that's all it means. It means the person has never come to faith in Jesus Christ. They've never been regenerated. They're unregenerate. They are dead in their trespasses and sins. That's all that means. Now, notice, if you will, in verse 14, chapter two in verse 14, if you have your Bible, look down with me. So I'm not lying to you. Okay, you got to make sure that what I'm saying is coming from here. Right. You guys with me? Okay. All right. You don't want to hear a man. You want to hear God. All right. Here we go. He says the natural person. Now, who is the natural person? Well, it's the unregenerate person that we just talked about. It's the lost person. It's the state that you or I are in before we come to faith in Jesus Christ. He says the lost person does not accept. Okay. Now, not accepting something is not like a, a passive type thing. It's active. It means more in the original language of just not accepting something. It means more of a rejecting something. Okay, he says the sinful mind, the sinful, unconverted, lost individual who's never come to faith in Jesus Christ. He rejects what the things of the spirit of God. Now, what are the things of the spirit of God? Well, you've got a copy of it right in front of you. The things of the spirit of God are the truths that have been revealed by the spirit in the word of God. They're the truths concerning salvation. They're the truths concerning grace. They're the truths concerning Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. All that the Word of God presents are the things of the Spirit. So get this. An unconverted lost person rejects rejects the teachings and the doctrines that are found within the Word of God. Not only does he reject it, but he sees them as being uh, foolish. Notice, he says, for they are folly to him. 
In other words, this book is really nothing more than a group of just kind of maybe good suggestions, maybe fairy tales, maybe a a bunch of men's kind of um, um, interpretations, uh, maybe a bunch of history. But to him, there's nothing really significant about this book. In matter of fact, when he reads things in the word, the ideas that it conveys is actually a bit foolish, okay, Is is what he finds when he reads the word of God. And the Bible says that the reason for this is because he is not able to understand them. In other words, he's incapable of truly understanding the words of God that are found within the book of Scripture. Now, this is a consistent theme throughout the Word of God in the Old Testament and the New. Let me give you a couple of Scripture passages. First of all, Proverbs 4, 19 declares, The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. They're blind. They don't understand. Psalm 82, 5. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18, speaking of lost Gentiles, he says, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Then in Romans chapter 8, verse 7, the mind set on the flesh, talking about a lost individual, talking about the natural person as mentioned here in verse 14. He says, having, he says, he says the, the, the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God for it does not subject itself to the law of God for it is not even able to do it. So he's saying it's not able to understand the things of God. Now here comes the question. What does he mean then? What is, what does Paul mean here by they don't understand? And I think there's two different views. One major view is this, is that they literally do not have the capacity to intellectually process what is written on these pages. So in other words, they'll they'll go to the text, they'll read it, and it's just, they're reading and they're going, man, none of this makes any sense. I can't make heads or tails of this at all. Okay? And, and, And I don't really believe that that's what Paul is saying here. Because I believe that a person who is even unregenerate, which means what? Lost can understand certain facts that are found in the Word of God. In other words, I think they understand when the Bible says, do thou shalt not lie, I think they're bright enough to get that. Uh, You understand what I'm saying? I think that they can memorize Scripture. I think they can know the history that's found in Scripture. I think that there are certain truths that their natural mind can understand. And so what I would say is this, is that they can understand at least a basic meaning of the text of Scripture. But I don't believe... uh, So what is he meaning when he says that they are not able to understand? Well, what I believe that he's doing is the way to understand this text is to understand the the word understand. The word understand in this Greek is the Greek word gnosko, which means to, catch this, to know something from experience. It doesn't mean to know something intellectually. It means to know something by experience. He says the unbeliever cannot experientially understand the things that are in the word of God. In other words, he can understand the meaning of it, but catch this, he can't grasp the significance of it. Are you with me? So, for example, they can understand, here it is, they can understand what sin is, but they fail to see themselves as sinners. Do you see that? Do you see that? Listen, when the Holy Spirit came and worked on your heart... Did you see very clearly under great compulsion and conviction that you were a sinner lost? Did you? 
If not, we have a whole room full of unbelieving people. Then this is certainly the message for you, okay? So listen to this. He says, secondly, they can understand that there is a penalty for sin, but they cannot believe that they are deserving of any penalty for what they've done. They can imagine that anything that they've ultimately done could possibly be bad enough to cause them to be in the eternity in hell. That makes no sense whatsoever. They don't understand it. Thirdly, he says, they can understand that Jesus died for sinners, but they see no need for Christ dying for them. Does that make sense? I've told people, and I sat there and said, brother, I want to let you know that Jesus Christ died in your place for your sins. And this is the response. I wish he hadn't gone and done that. Why do you have to go and kill himself to do that? I'm not bad enough for him to have to die for. Do you see the distinction between the two? And I think one of the greatest examples we see this in the teaching of the word of God, especially in the New Testament, is with the Pharisees. Here were the Pharisees who were the experts of the law. Man, they knew it chapter and verse, even though they didn't have chapters and verse then. But way back then, they knew by memory the first five books of the law. They knew everything about it. Not only did they know it by memory, but get this, that they would argue it. They would settle disputes based on it. And and, and they even knew the Hebrew words, the origins of the very Hebrew words that were placed within the text. They knew at least intellectually, the meaning of the text of Scripture. But they were unable to understand the significance of what it is that they intellectually knew. How do we know that? Because the Bible says, He came to His own, but His own would not receive Him. So here are the experts of the law that know it much better than you and I in a sense. In other words, I doubt if any of us have the first five books of the the law memorized. Is that true? Right? And yet, they couldn't see that the very one who they had studied about, to whom these, these books wrote and referred to, Jesus Christ, was standing and living right before them. They couldn't understand that. They couldn't see that. They couldn't sit there and go, oh, this is Jesus Christ. We know by his teachings. We know by why he was born. They were completely and utterly blinded. They were incapable of truly understanding what was going on. Now, why was that? Why are they not able? They're not able because, listen what the word says, because they are spiritually discerned. See that in the word of God? Because they are spiritually discerned. In other words, understanding things must be, understanding spiritual truth must be spiritually discerned or spiritually taught and understood. So why can't a lost person understand spiritual things? Because he is what, church? Spiritually dead. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 says that what? That we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Now we've got to get an, a hold of this and understand this. This means that it, maybe maybe you've never come to faith to Jesus Christ. Maybe somebody begged you to be here. What the Word of God says is this. This might be interesting to you. The Bible says that you are alive physically today. You're alive physically, but spiritually you're dead. And I don't mean kind of dead or almost dead or closely dead. Or like CPR on life support dead. I mean completely and utterly dead. Which means because you're dead spiritually, you have no way of being able to understand spiritual things. It would be like this. Say I brought in a dead body today. All right. And laid them right up here on the the platform with me. First of all, that would be weird. Yes, gross. 
uh, strange. So let's just all identify that that would be strange, and I'm not going to do that. But if I were, for illustration purposes, and we were to sit there and go, guys, I wanted you to do everything you can to get this guy's attention. And so some of you came up, some of you ladies, you had a pen, you go, I got it, and you, you stubbed, stuck a pen in his foot. Some of y'all sat there and you rattled him. Some of you took money and went, Woo, here you go, you get up, I'll give you this. Some of you got up there and you yelled in his ear, listen to me. How much would he respond to those physical stimuli? None. He is incapable and unable fully and completely to respond to any physical stimuli. And what the word of God is teaching us is that is the condition we are in before we come to faith in Jesus Christ. We are completely and fully and utterly dead, incapable of responding and incapable of understanding the spiritual things of God. So this person, the reason that the Holy Spirit's not coming and working in his heart is because he's unregenerate. He, one, is spiritually dead. And number two, he is without the presence of the Holy Spirit. The abiding presence of the Holy Spirit is not living within him. When a person gets saved, when they repent of their sins and they place their faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ, not only does God make them alive spiritually to understand and discern spiritual things, but the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in them. Okay? That's why at celebration, follow me, we don't say, hey, how'd you get saved? I asked Jesus in my heart. Okay? I know some of you, that makes your whole world crumble. First of all, I don't even understand what that means. Does that explain anything about the gospel? Man, just ask him in your heart. Okay, Jesus, hop in. It just doesn't make any sense, okay, to me. All right? So what we explain is you're not saved by asking Jesus in your heart, okay? He'll come into your heart, not just your heart, but really your whole body. You'll become the temple of the Holy Ghost once you repent and believe. That's the gospel, Repent of sin and believe in the completed work of Jesus Christ by faith. That's the gospel. Not ask him into your heart. It's just terrifying to me, all right? And so the idea is he comes and he dwells in all of us. Now, why is that significant? Well, the Holy Spirit is significant. Now, here's one thing. Look, I'm Southern Baptist, so I can dog on Southern Baptist, okay? All right, you guys got that? I don't want you to get all upset and all pouty lip this morning. Here's the things we don't do well. We are so unbelievably scared of the Holy Spirit and the abuses of the Holy Spirit. We kind of like don't really want to talk about them. Okay, God, yeah. Jesus, right on. Holy Spirit, yeah. He's he's around there. He shows up every once in a while. You guys with me? You you guys with me? He's like Tonto or something. You know, you have the Lone Ranger Jesus, you got Tonto, right? Okay, listen, let's explain a couple things very clearly theologically. First of all, the Holy Spirit is not an it. It's a he, it's a person. He's the third person of the Trinity, all right? Show some respect. No, I'm just kidding. So he's the third person of the Trinity. So we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And here's the other thing. He is utterly and completely God, fully God. No less God than the Father, no less God than Jesus Christ. And he did not just show up on the scene when Jesus says, I'm going to send a comforter. He didn't just plop him in there. Okay. He just didn't just go, oh, here's the birth of the spirit. Let's go ahead and give him a spirit. No, the Holy Spirit was pre-existing with the father and with the son from eternity's past. He had no beginning and he had no end. And what's beautiful is the Holy Spirit has a unique role in which you and I are completely needing in our lives. 
that we are completely dependent upon. And, and so you say, and what is that? Well, Jesus explains what that role is uh, within the word of God in John chapter 14 in verses 16 through 17. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, he says, and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper. The other words are an advocate, a tutor, a teacher, all the same words. He goes, I'll give you an advocate and a helper that he may, see, it's not it may, it's a he, he may be with you forever. He says, that is the spirit of truth. He's speaking of the Holy Spirit. Now, when he uses that phrase, the spirit of truth, uh, when it says spirit of truth, he's not only explaining what he is, the nature of the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. What he's doing is he's also telling us what it is that he does, what his specific role is. And according to Jesus Christ himself, what he is, is his job is to reveal truth to you and I. That's his job. And he does that in two different ways. First of all, he communicates God's truth through inspiration, through inspiration. Now, we talked about that. That's not a made up word. It's found in Second Peter. Or it's, it's, it's a word that we use to describe the, the work of the Holy Spirit in inspiring the word of God. It's found in Second Peter 1, 21. The, the concept is found there. What it teaches us there is that the word of God, this word was written by what? By man, but primarily through whom? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit worked and moved on men. 40 different men over a period of 1,500 years. He used their intellect. He used their backgrounds. He used their regular knowledge. And he came and he moved them. So when they were actually taking a piece of paper writing, that they actually were writing the very words of God. And then God not only inspired them, but he inspired the book, the word of God, to, to, to stick together, to hold together, and for it to be without error. So that was the work of God. Now, what he was doing is that's what we call revelation. He was revealing truth by inspiration, by giving the truths of God that could not be understood with your mind and my mind. And he told us things that could only be conveyed to us by the spirit. And it's written within the word of God. You got that? Now, here's another way to say it. It is the completed process that guaranteed the truthfulness of the Bible by the spirit superintending of the revelation we have recorded in scripture right here, the inspiration of God. Now that inspiration is done. The revelation of God, new revelation is done and is completed at the completion of this book. So God has given us all the truth, all the knowledge we need for salvation and for holiness. It's contained right in this book. You guys still with me? You guys with me? So he's given it all right here. So now what he does is his second role. His second role is that he communicates God's truth through illumination. This is the continuing work of the Spirit into and leading us into all truth. So what God does is he takes this word that he inspired, done with that job. Now his job is to come to you and I who, who, are, who are dead at first. And what he does is he takes this word and he illuminates it and gives you and I, excuse me, you and I a true understanding of the significance of the word of God. 
without him showing the significance of the word of God, you and I would have never come to faith in Jesus Christ. You and I would never be transformed. You and I would never sit underneath the preaching of the word and feel the weight of the truth of the word of God. We would never sit back as in Psalm 19 and view the word as more precious than gold, more costly than gold, even much more, much fine gold. We would never view it as being sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. The Holy Spirit put that in you. He illuminated the text of scripture that was being preached that you were reading. And all of a sudden it came and it had significance inside of your life. Do you understand that? That's the role of the Holy Spirit inside of our life. Let me give you an example of this found in Luke chapter 14. I gave you an example of what it looks like for the unregenerate heart. Now let me give you an example of what it looks like now to really get this. This is what happens when we're believers. Here's a picture of it, Luke 24. This is when Jesus is walking. He's already dead, buried, and resurrected. And he's walking on the road to Emmaus. And there are some disciples there. And he appears to them, and they don't know who he is, okay? And the scriptures tell us in chapter 24, verse 16, it says they don't know who he is. He says in verse 16, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. Their understanding was darkened. They, they couldn't recognize who Jesus was. The Bible then says in verse 31, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Do you see the difference? Not understanding, understanding. And then in verse 32, listen to what it says. Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Do you see the difference? The significance, the significance of the word of God. Their eyes were open. The Holy Spirit gave them understanding and it meant something to them. It was significant to them. It burned within their very hearts. And so what we're trying to say here is this is that I can come each week and I can preach the word of God. I can preach the word of God. And here's the deal. I don't always get it right. You guys understand that? I don't always, yeah, you remind me. Uh, I don't always get it right because I'm fallible. It's not from not trying and attempting and trying to read and study to show myself approved through the word of God and to rightly divide the word of truth. It's not for lack of trying. It's just sometimes because I'm not having arrived, sometimes I don't get it right. But there are sometimes I know I get it right. I know I get it right. Not because of might, but because of the very grace of God and what he has called me to. It's by his grace alone. And so when I get here and I preach the word of God, what happens is there are some who sit week in, week out, and who are even here today. And when the word of God is being preached, he or she sees heads nodding. Maybe he sees somebody going, yes. Maybe when their spouse leaves with them, all they want to do is talk about the word of God and how it moved their heart. When the word of God is being preached, they think, oh my goodness, He's reading my mail. This is exactly what God has been teaching inside of my heart. And there's even sometimes that there's something in your heart where you want to respond so badly to the truth of the word of God. You don't even know what to do, right? You're like, I don't know what to do. I know I'm not walking down there at the invitation, but I feel like doing something. Has anybody ever sensed that in their heart? But yet there could be a person sitting right next to them. And the same word is being proclaimed in spirit and in truth. And it does nothing. They sit there and it's kind of an intellectual exercise, looking at their watch, wondering when lunch is going to come, wondering where they're going to eat. And they look over and go, I don't know why they're so in this. 
And then they look over to you going, how can you not be in this? How can you? And, and, and what you're doing is here's what you've said. You're sitting there going, they just don't get it. They just don't get it. And you know what the answer is? You're right. That's what the Bible says. They don't get it. They get it intellectually, but they don't get it where it's gripping and transformational. Now, that's not something to go around and be snooty about. Oh, well, you just don't get it. (laughs) Okay, no. All right? That's not what it is. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking because you want them to get it. So here's what we do. Because I've done it, and I'm just going to say. So what we do to make sure people get it, so we get a bigger band. We get more smoke. We get cool, fitting jeans. And you never tuck it in. You just lay it out. You just leave out out the shirt. And what you do is the preacher, he learns all these different tools. If you're 99% sure that you're saved, then you're 100% lost. If you have any doubt, you're lost. Well, I killed you. That's not true. That's what a person says. That's not true. Now I have to correct because I, mess, I messed up. Here's the deal. First John says, these things are written so that you know you were saved. Every believer is attacked by the devil who sometimes doubt their salvation. If they don't, I doubt if they were ever saved because they understand what the true call of righteousness is. So to say that you're 99% sure you're 100% lost is a bunch of baloney or else we wouldn't have the book of First John that he gave to us so that we know that we are in the faith. You see what I'm saying? So we say things like that. And what happens? Everybody lines up and everybody comes forward and said, man, I doubt just a little bit. I must not be safe. Try to get him forward. Then we do the whole thing where we sit there and go, all right, just, just raise an eye. Just raise an eye at me. Or just lift a hand. All right, just, just sit, come down. If you have a head, just come forward. And then we begin to tell every possible story that we possibly can. Because what we're doing is we're saying that the word of God is not sufficient. And the Holy Spirit is not powerful enough. I have to kind of work and coerce you to somehow get. I don't believe that. I believe that people get saved, not because of the ability of the man who is preaching, but because of the power of the word. And when the Holy Spirit comes and combines, he comes and he does a supernatural work. And the unbeliever and the believer conforming them to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Forget the goofiness. You know, Brother Mike, you're just not having a long enough invitation. You just got to have it longer. Listen, when you are ready to get saved, forget the invitation. You'll break down and you say, God, save a sinner like me. Do you understand? I I mean, some of you understand. Okay. And so what is the answer? And so there's a second thing is not only will the uh, un and, and here's what you need to understand is our full, completely un, uh, dependence on God. If the Holy Spirit doesn't move, we're sunk. We're sunk. I've tried to do all those things. Let me just say this. I've tried to do all those things. I mean, I used to share the gospel like this. You don't want to go to hell, do you? You don't want to burn for eternity. You know what burning's like? Here's a lighter. Here, put your finger in that. That's what your whole body's going to be like, buddy. Right? Do you want to go to hell? Do you know how they normally respond to that? No. <laughs> Do you want to burn forever in complete and utter agony and darkness? Where it smells like burning flesh? No, that's not really a place I really want to spend eternity. What do I do? Ask Jesus in your heart. Just ask Jesus in your heart. Instead of that, and instead of the stories and everything else, is here's the gospel is, hey man, we're all lost. 
We are lost. We are born as sinners. We have sinned willfully and we are born and we're completely depraved, which means that we don't sin as much as we possibly can. It just means that every part of me, my mind, my flesh, my soul, everything has been fully and completely saturated with sin. I cannot do anything. I cannot respond to God. But in his grace, he reaches down, he illuminates, he gives me life and I am saved. How? By placing my faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ died on a cross, not for his sins, but for mine to do what to satisfy the angry righteous wrath of god that is being pent up and is burning against me and if that is not enough for somebody to get saved then nothing no stupid bringing down the lights is going to bring true conversion to a heart because the holy spirit uses that gospel and transforms them and changes them And so what we do is let's be responded to him. Let's be dependent on him. It's your neighbor, everybody else. You're sitting there. How can I say how to explain? We should study to show ourselves approved. We should know how to share our faith. But we have to be equally dependent on the move of the Holy Spirit. Because they're unregenerated. But there's a second thing here is not only unregenerate heart keeps the Holy Spirit from working. But also another uh, barrier is an unresponsive heart. Now, you guys need to listen quicker. Very quick. uh, Ephesians. Ephesians uh, chapter 4, look at verse 30, and I'm going to give you this very quickly, all right? Very quickly. Ephesians chapter 4, here's the second point, an unresponsive heart. See, here's what you need to know. When, you're, when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you become alive in Christ. Your soul is now alive unto him. So you can discern things, and the Holy Spirit begins to teach you. But here's what I want you to understand. You're not in need of just an initial illumination, You and I are in need of continual illumination. You and I are in need of God to continually show us and illuminate our minds and our hearts to receive and understand the essence and significance of Scripture. Do you see that? It's not a one-time deal. It's consistently. It's consistently. Now, notice, notice what he says in verse 30. I'm going to read the verse, then I'm going to back up. Verse 30, he says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The word grieve there means to sadden. It's the idea of doing something opposite of what the spirit ultimately wants. It's going against him is what it it really means. So it says to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Now notice this. Notice who he's writing to. He's not writing to unbelievers anymore about unbelievers. He's writing specifically to believers. Listen to what he says. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He's talking about the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit seals a believer until the day of redemption. Do you know what that means? Once you're truly born again, you're always born again. Because salvation is of God. All right? And so what he says, he goes, I've sealed you until the day of redemption. Not until you mess up enough, and then I'm going to take my grace back. Okay? He says, sealed until the day of redemption. Whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, notice, so what's going on here? Well, he's talking to believers. He's saying that they can grieve. Now, back up for me very quickly. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17. Look at the word. I could be lying to you. You better look. Okay? All right? Look at the word. 4, 17. All right, here it is. He says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk in the gen- as the Gentiles do and the futility of their minds. Did you catch that? He says, don't you act and live like a lost person as Gentiles do because of the futility of their mind. What's wrong with their mind? It's darkened. They don't have any understanding of how they should live. He says, they are darkened in their understanding. There it is alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. 
He goes, that's that unregenerate, unresponsive heart. It's hardened because it's dead, all right? And so he says, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Do you see that? There's learning here. There's understanding. He goes, that's not how you learned Christ. He says, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So what he says is you now have a new mind. You have a new mind and you know better. You've been taught. You understand the significance of the word of God. And what happens when we understand something rightly to the word of God is transformation then occurs. Okay. So he says all these things have happened. And then he goes on and he says in verse 23, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. There's the work of the Holy Spirit. He's doing the work. And to put on the new self created. Notice this. After the likeness of God in the true righteousness and holiness. The Holy Spirit changed your mind. There should be a change of action now. Why? Because he's transforming us into whose likeness? Christ's likeness. Got it? Now notice what he does. Now after saying that and giving us the theology, now what he's going to do, very simply, stick with me, he is going to tell us what we should do and what we shouldn't do. So he says in verse 23, Therefore, having put away falsehood, that's what we did. Let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. That's what we should do. For we are members of one another. Be angry. That's what we are allowed to do. And do not sin. That's what we should not do. And do not let the sun go down on your anger. Another thing we should not do. And give opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal. Stop doing. But rather let him labor. It's what he should do, doing honest work with his own hands so that they may have meaning to share with anyone in need. Again, what he should be doing now that he's a believer in Jesus Christ. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for the building up. It fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And then notice this. So what he does, he gives all the things they should do now because they're able to because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Tells him all the things that they should not do. And he says, ultimately, right here, and he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So how do we grieve? In 1 Thessalonians, it tells us do not quench. It's the same exact idea. It's keeping and impeding the Holy Spirit from doing its called work in your life, which is ultimately understanding and transformation. He says, how do you ultimately do it? Simply this, ignoring them. Having an unresponsive heart. It's not being obedient and submitting to what God has already told us in his word to do. It is we grieve the spirit by committing sins of commission. God says don't, we go ahead and do it. When God says don't very clearly in the word of God and the Holy Spirit has given you the understanding and he's taught you not to do something and you and I still go and willfully do what he's told us not to do, that grieves the Holy Spirit. It suppresses his power in our life and keeps him from bringing about the transformation that he desires for us. The same thing as we grieve the spirit by committing sins of omission. Those are things that we should be doing. Everybody always thinks, oh man, at least I'm not doing that, 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 that. Okay, but what about the things that the spirit tells us to do? In James 1, 17, he says, he says, if you know what to do is right and you do not do it, do it to you, it is accounted as sin. Well, I'll tell you what, there's a lot of sin in my life. 
And so what is the answer to this? That's suppressing and keeping the, 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 the spirit from doing and transforming us. And then notice this. Here's the answer. He says the answer to an unresponsive heart is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, it says, Do not be drunk with wine. Get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. When a person drinks too much alcohol, what do they do? They become inebriated. They become, they become under, under the, the power and the control of that alcohol. He begins to do and to say things because he's under control of that alcohol that normally he would not in any other occasion. He says, don't be filled with that. Be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit so that you will do what comes not naturally to you. You will act and speak and do which is natural to the person and the person of God. So be filled with the Spirit. But how are you filled with the Spirit? How are we filled with the Spirit? Through obedience to what He's already revealed to us. See, here's the other thing. We talked about the unregenerate person, but let's talk about the regenerate person, the believer, who has come into the house of God. And here's the deal. I have not gotten it right every single Sunday for the last six years. Some of you have been coming for months. Some of you have been coming for weeks. Some of you, this is the first and last time you'll ever come. You don't want to go through this again. Uh, We love you. Um, Some have been here for years. Some have been here for six years. And here's the deal. Some, in all those years of proclaiming the truth of the word of God with authorial intent, which many times under the power of the Holy Spirit, and getting it right, there's still been many who have changed little to nothing over all that time. Their affections are really not much greater than they've ever been. There's no sense more of holiness or understanding of God or loving him or wanting to submit to his will. There's just no desire. They really don't even understand and get it. I know believers that I know that are believers. I really believe that they're believers. They've shown, shown some fruit, but they are clueless sometimes with some of them. I shouldn't even say that. I don't know if they're saved or not, to be honest with you. But there are some things you're sitting there going, why don't you understand these biblical principles? And here's why. The reason that they don't know very much truly about the word and what it means and the significance of the word of God is because their sin has hindered the work of the Holy Spirit of bringing understanding and illuminating more of the scriptures to them. So they come into the house of God, even if this guy gets it right and preaches and filled with the Holy Spirit. If you are not filled with the Holy Spirit, even though he's given us the power of the preaching of his word to transform you, you will leave unaffected and unchanged. So all of a sudden, the responsibility is not only shift over here, it's shift where you are. I didn't get anything out of it. That's your problem. Because here's the deal. Sometimes I stink at this. And sometimes I beat myself up all the time. Oh, it's ah! I didn't do well. I know that. But here's the awesome thing. Even when I'm way off, if you're walking with the Holy Spirit, what truth is coming out, God will take that and transform you and change your life. So here's the application. The preacher must be fully dependent upon the Holy Spirit. He cannot depend only upon his schooling and rules of interpretation. He must have the Holy Spirit illuminate the truth of God's word so that he can correctly understand not only the meaning, but the sense, the significance of the scriptures. He should preach the message to himself first and allow it to burn itself clean in his heart before he ever attempts to preach it to anybody else. Why am I teaching that to you? Because you, the church needs to begin to understand what a preacher is supposed to be doing. A preacher is not a guy that drinks sweet tea on the back of some swing porch somewhere. That's not what makes him a good preacher. 
What makes him a good preacher is the fact that he is down studying the word of God, allowing it to rip into his heart and transform his life so that he has something to say when he gets up. And that's through the power of the word of God. That's what a preacher is supposed to be doing. And so the Bible says he needs to preach it to himself first. And notice this next slide. But if he is living in sin... Now, nobody's perfect, but living in sin is completely different. Do you understand the difference? There's a difference between falling in sin, which we all do daily, and living in sin, pursuing a sinful lifestyle. He says, but if he is living in sin or has unconfessed, sorry, it's supposed to be unconfessed, unconfessed in his heart sin, this quenches and grieves the Holy Spirit, limiting the Holy Spirit work of illuminating on his mind and in his heart. So if there's sin on my heart as I'm preparing the word of God, I may come, but all I can tell you is what books have told me. I can't tell you what this Holy Spirit has illuminated inside of my heart. So that will ultimately do what? Not give you the true food and the riches and the nourishment of the word that you want, desire, and need. But notice this. When the preacher studies the text with a pure heart before God and then preaches the truth, the Holy Spirit honors that truth and then seeks actively to transform the listener and the congregation with it. Isn't that awesome? Application number two, and I'll close with this. Congregation must be fully dependent upon the Holy Spirit. You've got to be fully dependent upon the Holy Spirit when you walk in these doors. You can't sit there and say, man, I hope it's a good message. I hope the word of God is being preached. Some of you even say we come to celebration not because of the cool programs, because we don't have any. Okay, so (laughs) so (laughs) we don't. So those people definitely aren't coming back, are they? All right. We love you, but here's the deal. You say, we come because the word of God is being preached. I sense the spirit of God who is ultimately there. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. The preaching of the word of God is good, but if you do not come filled with the Holy Spirit, you will leave once again unchanged, untransformed. You have to be right with the spirit by submitting and committing yourself to him and say, God, I'm not going to live in this disobedience anymore. I submit to you. And he says here, he says, but here, he says, finally, so for you and me to come knowingly. Did I reach that first part? The preacher can get the text right and all that. Okay, and leave on effect. Yeah. So for you and me to come knowingly with sin in our hearts and still hope to grow in Christ by merely hearing the word of God, we are fooling ourselves. You're fooling yourself. If there is sin between you and your husband and you and your wife and it is not dealt with, you can learn all this stuff that you want, really cool stuff from a book. But guess what? You're learning intellectually, but you're not understanding through the power of the Holy Spirit. You're remaining unchanged. Your head's getting big. But your life is not being transformed in the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ. So what do we do? We repent. Those things which in our life that we know that are inconsistent and unfaithful to God, that the Holy Spirit has already revealed to us, we do business with him today so that next week or Monday, what he begins to do is he begins to show us more truth in the riches of his word. That's what we do. So that you and I can get serious about being transformed in the image and likeness of Christ. Listen, God is speaking. Are you listening? Jesus, we come to you today.
I thank you for the listening abilities for people today, that they were listening engaged. God, I pray for those who are unable to understand apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. I pray for them right now. I pray, God, that you would move, that, God, I'm going to be down here. I'm going to be talking. I would love to talk with them afterwards or right now. God, it's time for them to be saved. Move them. Change their heart. Illuminate their hearts. God, they might hear it and understand it to a certain extent, but allow the word of God to have significance in their heart, to change them, to bring them to repentance and faith in you. God, for the rest, those who are are truly believers, right now, God, will we have a time of confession and repentance and seeking you because we want to hear your voice. We want to hear your word. We want to be taught by the Holy Spirit. We don't want the work of the Holy Spirit to be impeded because we're grieving the Holy Spirit because of the disobedience of the truth that you've already revealed to us. In order for you to give us more, we've got to be obedient to what you've already provided. God, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?